So what were, what were your first thoughts when you saw that uh, Slipknot tour with A Day to Remember and Under Oath and Code Orange? My thoughts are that 32-year-olds will be stoked. It's interesting to see A Day to Remember kind of rock back and forth with them releasing a song like Degenerates right after Bad Vibrations. Like that was the first official song except for that Marshmallow song. Right. And to see them kind of try to approach alt-radio in a way. And then the song didn't move anywhere. And then they released the follow-up, which was way more metalcore-y. But it was interesting to see them kind of dip their toes into a, a more accessible, like, alt sound, and then completely revert and go back to trying to get, you know, Avenged Sevenfold, Slipknot-type fans. Because that yeah, was the goal with they've Bad they've been Bad. kind of one foot in, one foot out of that Red State Rock Festival kind of thing for, <laughs> uh, for a while now. And, I, I mean... I, I don't know any of them personally, so I am speculating, but I mean, it makes sense because they've gotten as big as you possibly could in kind of the scene that they came from. And it's like, well, what do we do from here? What do we do from here? And that, I mean, that's what I've talked about on the lot, a lot on the show since it's come back is where do bands go? How do you grow up when you, when you come from the scene and there's kind of nothing left in it? So it is interesting. And then to have Under Oath, who just keep land, managing to land these tours. You know, last summer they were with Korn and Alice in Chains, and now they're going to do a stint with Slipknot, which a lot of people don't remember, but they went out on tour with them in, I think, 2008 or 2009. It was on uh, Lost in the Sound of Separation cycle. Uh, and then Code Orange, it, it just feels like they just keep getting everything handed to them because they do not have any numbers to back it up. It's when interesting you that you mentioned that because people keep bringing them up to me as like, oh, these guys are going to be the next big thing. And I keep <laughs> looking at the numbers and going, I don't know about that. There is such a false perception about how big that band is. They're not. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> look, good for them. Right, uh, for, totally. You know, that that's their job and their team's job is to create the perception that they're the biggest band in the world because when you do that sometimes it becomes true right uh but yeah every time i look at the numbers i just go you know i'm not sure that they're as big as some of their fans think they are and people people forget this but a day to remember is over 15 years old now which is Under insane, Oath is 20 right? years old I know. Orange is 10 years old these it, are not young up-and-coming bands which <clears> i'm not saying that's good or bad just you know, I think in, you know, we talked the other day quite a bit about kind of the future of rock and that sort of thing. And I've talked about it a lot in my videos. And mm -hmm. I think we see things pretty similarly. And, you know, I don't mean to be cynical or pessimistic, but people bring these bands up all the time. You know, as a day to remember, what if they're the next big thing? And it's like, <laughs> dude, I mean, I absolutely love them. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. But I mean, they started in 2003. They're very clearly past their prime commercially. And, if you're if that's the example of the next big thing then i don't know what to tell you you know that's interesting that you bring that up because even to me it still kind of feels like code orange is a younger band but they've yeah. literally been around for more than a decade i mean they were a ska band before they were uh decided to do heavy shit when they were called were they code really orange kids yeah so if you go back there's a i found it on a tumblr page like a long long time ago but if you dig far enough back they started as a ska band oh that's amazing isn't it i know <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I do too. And then to see like their hard ass attitude now, it's like 
Come on, guys. So, okay. Finn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Finn McKenty, you run the Punk Rock NBA on YouTube, which is a fantastic channel. Finn and now ha- a podcast. And now a platform. podcast. Congrats. Finn has a wealth of knowledge about so much of the scene front to back and so much outside of it. And uh, I'm super, super stoked to have you on the show, man. Well, thank you for having me. Before we get into it, I have a question for you, which I was going to ask you the other day when we talked on the phone, but I wanted to save it for the show. Okay. Uh, and I, I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot, but <laughs> have you ever met Brian Stars? No, I have not met Brian Stars. All right. Well, then I'm out. The show's over. We have nothing to talk about. <laughs> I don't. Do you have a history with Brian Stars? No. He's just such a fascinating figure to me for so many different reasons. For so many different reasons. Where the hell did he go? I have no idea. No one knows. No one knows where Brian Stars went. Brian, I mean, it's or... hard to disappear these days. If you were a public figure at some point, how do you just disappear? Like you would think somebody would, there'd be a Reddit thread where they're like, Brian Stars sold me car insurance the other day or something. <laughs> like how someone found out that a guy from a Skylet Drive is like a, you know, letter carrier now. Oh my gosh, Corey LeQuay is delivering people's mail. Let's go. Yeah, I love and that. No hate on that, by the way. Just to be clear, there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, being a letter carrier and no. paying the bills. They got a union behind them, man. Like they <laughs> those government benefits are great. Hell I think yeah. that's a hell yeah. Probably a much better life than being in a Skylight Drive in 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but you would think, you know, that, I mean, Brian Stars didn't make fuck you money or something where he can go retire in some remote location. He's He's got to be out there doing something. And you would think that somebody would have tracked him down, but apparently not. I, it's super, super interesting. I talk uh, a lot uh, about that with my buddy Brian Storm, who I had on the show a couple episodes from Rockfeed. And it, there was a time where Brian Stars was unavoidable in yeah. separate eras, too. I mean, back in the day when he was just the blue-collared, khaki-short guy that interviewed all of your favorite bands and Christopher Drew made him cry, or <laughs> he was in some sort of weird MySpace scene revival-like collective. I can't even remember what it was called, but that was like... My Digital Escape. My Digital Escape. Holy shit. We are just digging up some culture on this episode well, already. <laughs> Tyler, if you live in a world without Brian Stars, that's up to you. But that's a world I do not want to live in. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, I love it. If, All right. If listen, that's how you want to live your life. I guess we need to get him on the show. We need to, I, yeah. we need to go dig him up wherever Paging he's at. Paging Brian Stars. Brian Stars, please call Note to Scene. Let's go, man. Let's, we'll have you on the show and we'll unpack it all because no one's yeah. told your story. But um, so, yes, Finn, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. I'm super stoked for this episode. Before we get into our main topic of bands that were the most unlikeliest to break out of the scene in any way, this is going to be a super fun episode. I wanted to just quickly mention and touch on the passing of Diego from Volumes. Came out of nowhere. Literally just last week, he left the band. A lot of um, unfortunate circumstances around all of that story. But I think the impact that Volumes has had on, on modern metalcore and the gent wave as a whole is, is incredibly underrated, and they definitely don't get enough credit for it. They really made that sound in the super late 2000s, like 2009, 
they made that sound viable and cool and accessible for Warp Tour bands. Because before that, all of those bounce riffs and those choppy breakdowns was very, like, elitist-laden, and it was not for, you know, scene bands or metalcore bands that played Warp Tour. And they came in and they made it fun. I, I don't think their impact on what metalcore has evolved into can be understated. Yeah, I agree with all that, and... You know, I didn't know Diego personally, but we had a couple of mutual friends, like producer friends. I did a podcast with him years ago, and his uh, his sophistication as a musician is what really stood out to me. Mm. Like I, I jokingly, but not jokingly, refer to like real music, quote unquote, as being like pop, because you know, if you know a lot about the craft of making music, then you know that pop is just objectively the level of, of craft involved in making pop is higher than in rock, definitely, uh, especially like metal. And Diego was one of the only people, you know, who kind of understood that. And I think largely walked away from metal years ago because he just was more interested in making like rap and pop because as a musician, there's, it's just more fertile ground. And I always really respected that about him and admired, you know, how sophisticated he was as a producer and as a musician and, you know, that he was one of the people that had a bigger vision than just playing chugs. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, his vision was always a lot bigger than that. You know, their dad is like a, a really well-known Latin producer. And so they, yep. you know, they have a lot of history uh, in in real music. So it's really unfortunate to lose him, obviously, just because he was very young and uh, leaves friends and family and stuff behind. And, and that's really unfortunate uh, as a fan and, you know, just a, a, an appreciator of music in general. Uh, I'm also sad because I was really looking forward to seeing what he would do over the next few years as one of the few people to come from like the metalcore kind of scene that also had a bigger vision. And I think he was you know, he already did do some very innovative stuff, but I think would have done even more in the next few years. So very unfortunate. Sad to see. Uh, sad to see it happen. Definitely sad to see. And if you haven't, go spin some old volume stuff or their new stuff. You know, they got Mike from Barrier Dead, which I thought was just kind of one of the coolest moves for them to make a couple of years ago. So if you haven't yet, I definitely recommend doing a volumes dive. But okay, we're going to do a quick listener question before we dive into the topic. And... This week's question is from Lauren. She says, Hey Tyler, I can't wait for this week's episode. After this mayhem, I got a ticket for Boston after some of the most stressful two hours I've ever been through, but I hope the topic of who is going to support My Chemical Romance on tour comes up at some point. I wanted to be one that throws out the idea after looking at past tours. The Used is definitely a front runner, but other bands they always toured with back then were Rise Against, Thursday, and Billy Talent. Farfetch now, but could you imagine? Can't wait to hear your input. So, first off, Lauren, thanks for writing in. We didn't do any listener questions last episode because it was such a marathon episode that I did with Cassie just unpacking everything MCR, but I wanted to touch on this one because this is one thing that I didn't get to address during that episode is what bands would open for My Chemical Romance on their reunion tour. So I'll leave the floor open to you first, Finn. Do you have any ideas? As far as like, I mean, I don't, you would know better than I do. I don't, you know, I don't care that much about live events. Um, okay. But to me, like, I don't really enjoy watching bands, so okay. I don't pay attention to tour stuff as much as a lot of people. But, you know, from a, a macro perspective, I feel like they have two choices. Essentially, they can either, 
take a, take out uh, some young up and comers, quote unquote, you know, like water parks or something, or they can go full emo night and take out one of those, you know, older bands like she mentioned or fill in the blank other ones. And uh, to me, I, I don't really know that there's anything for anybody to gain from, uh, you know, taking out a younger band because, you know, the 32 year olds that are there to see them play the Black Parade don't give a shit about water parks. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I just don't know that that would make any sense. I think this is a nostalgia tour and that's probably what I would do. Like that, that, that seems to make the most sense to me as far as what is actually likely to happen. I have no clue because, you know, I have no insight on who's. You know, I, I, just, I don't, that's inside baseball that I don't for, know anything about. For sure. Uh, the used is super interesting because they had a, a huge falling out. I mean, that was one of the biggest emo beefs from, from way back in the day was Bert and Gerard. Um, you can go but listen to... I can't to, imagine anybody gives a fuck now. Uh, it was interesting because when we did the first iteration of the show, someone uh, sent us in a little interview quick clip that they had done with, I believe, Guns. And Bert was still dissing My Chemical Romance in 2018. And that was just, that blew my mind. So I, it's Disappointing. <laughs> I, disappointing for sure, I know. But now there's this rumor going around uh, that came up this past week where Bert like strongly hinted that they would be touring with My Chemical Romance later this year. So that'll be a huge moment to squat, you know, to finally squash the beef after 15 years or so at this point. But it's like the Meek Mill Drake of uh, 2000s mall emo. <laughs> I love that analogy. That's perfect. That's exactly what it was. I mean, they were literally. I don't believe MCR unless it's just some subtle one that I that I miss, but ever dropped a diss track. But the used did. Pretty handsome, awkward is absolutely about Gerard. No matter what Bert tries to say now or has said. It it is a savage, savage. Like he brought the knives for that song. If you listen to the lyrics and un unpack exactly what he's saying, it's it's really interesting to to break that down. But as far as the tour, it's exactly what you said. Who knows what's gonna happen? But with the used, that makes sense, especially now. Nostalgia. The used have managed to survive as a, an active band and continue to put out albums. But as we've seen with. Their, their last single that they just put out with Jason Butler from the Fever 333, it is a very much so a throwback sound. Uh, they're trying to sound like 2004 as much as possible. What other option do they have? Like, yeah, put out a trap album? I mean... You know, and try to be... Like, that's the worst is when bands try really hard to be relevant in an inauthentic way, like to be trendy. Exactly. Like when I, all the bands did dubstep albums in like 2013. I was just, just like, talking about that with a friend. Do you remember the dubstep metalcore wave? Yeah. Under Oath's last album before they broke up Disambiguation, the deluxe edition had three dubstep remixes on it. <laughs> I mean, a remix is one thing, but, you know, yeah, it's just, so I, I think it's much more dignified actually to just go, you know what? that's who we are you want us you know you remember us for what we did in 2004 and instead of you know desperately trying to be old men uh, uh riding the the wave of current trends we're just going to be who you want us to be i think that's actually a much more dignified way to go definitely um so there have been a lot of bands in the scene that have disassociated themselves and become bigger than they ever were with the scene and we're going to unpack a couple of those throughout
throughout this episode. And listeners, if there are any that we don't touch on, please write in. So the first band I want to touch on, because we completely disregarded them during the first iteration of the show, and I think no one remembers that they were on both Fearless and Equal Vision, Portugal the Man. They had a song called Feel It Still a couple years ago, just go absolutely bonkers. And I didn't even know that was them. I've heard that song a million times, like at Target or whatever. Exactly. I didn't even know it was them until like literally this morning when I was researching this show. I was exactly. like, oh, that's them? I it's... thought that was like gorillas or something. <laughs> I love that. But it's so, so interesting how that song took off. It peaked at number four on the Hot 100. I mean, that is superstardom success. Yeah. And it's unheard of for a band that was on both Fearless Records and Equal Vision way back in the day and played Warp Tour. Well, that's a great example to me of what I call car commercial music. Oh, absolutely. Or or talking parrot or sorry, dancing parrot music, because like a song like that, I I think you can imagine it being in a Pixar movie. And there's like a line of CG parrots with sunglasses on dancing to it. And those are the songs that have like maximum sync license potential. Totally. It was in so many commercials. I'll never forget the Thanksgiving that year. I walk into my grandpa's kitchen and my aunt is singing a Portugal the Man song. Wow. (laughs) I was just like, what world are we living in right now? It peaked at number one on both Top 40 and Alt Radio simultaneously. That is incredible. And it's, I mean, it's obviously a radio type hit, like you just said, commercial hit. It's just one of those earworms that get stuck in your head. It's not made for streaming. And it's really interesting that this song was able to take off and in the streaming age. And you still have songs like this that take off that aren't built off of a streaming hit. You don't really see that in hip hop. Those are the streaming hits. Like right now you have The Box by Roddy Rich, which is just been unbelievable to watch over the last two months completely catapult itself and outstream pretty much every other song in the world really except for dance monkey but that's and, all and it's interesting also with them i didn't really remember what they sounded like i remembered them being more like chiodos or something no, but i went yeah. back i went back and listened and i was like you know this they've pretty much always sounded like this always and it's so interesting it's it's, it's almost like the black keys or something exactly that weird kind of like indie rock that's just made for alt radio i was never a fan of portugal i always think they thought they were just completely overrated and and i anytime i saw a thread about them on absolute punk i just rolled my eyes in disgust and kept scrolling I just wanted nothing to do with the fan base that those listeners had because they just shit all over, you know, everything, modern metalcore, neon, you name it. If it was on Warp Tour, they didn't want to do it, which was funny because a lot of those indie bands like Portugal back in the day still played Warp Tour. Yep. The whole indie thing in general, I just never understood it. Mm -hmm. I, I just it just doesn't make sense to me. So I just avoid commenting on it because I clearly don't get it. But do you know the radio station KEXP? No. Uh-uh. They're, they're here in Seattle and they're, I guess one of the bigger like indie stations in the country. they are one of the first stations to have a YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, and so they would have bands come through every day and like play live on the radio and they would put them on YouTube and they were across the street from the company I used to work for. And people would always be talking about KEXP bands as though they were like a big deal. And I was like, well, I've never heard of any of these bands. I must be missing something. And then I looked and every one of these performances gets like 1400 views. 
and then I look up the Spotify numbers and it's nothing. And I look up the venues they're playing at and they're playing, you know, a 300 cap room that's not even sold out. And I'm just like, I don't understand why people in indie have this bizarrely inflated perception of how important this stuff is. Exactly. I'm like, these are nobodies. I'm not putting them down. Like, that's cool. But and if you like it, there's nothing wrong with liking it. But they they act like these bands are such a big deal. I'm like, am I missing something? But nothing. I I can't find any evidence that I am missing something. Sometimes I do. Like, uh, I remember years ago, I thought I I was like, St. Vincent, who's that? And I looked her up and I was like, okay, well, actually, I was wrong. She's a big deal. She is a big deal, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not saying that just because I don't know about it, 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 you know, there's lots of things I don't know about that are a big deal. But in India, it it feels like it's a very common pattern of fans (laughs) acting like something is a big deal and it's not definitely i mean that feels like the whole perception of it like those bands are the most important and prolific and better than anyone else in the world type attitude and i just cannot stand that i mean no 110 percent. like what you like love what you love but don't act like it's better than something else because whatever that something else is makes you uncomfortable or insecure or you're trying to bury your scene kid past currently they have 7.2 million monthly listeners on spotify i don't know how any of this happened but in they signed to atlantic in 2010 no one even acknowledged that in the scene whatsoever portugal has been a major label band for a decade now i had no idea (laughs) that's ridiculous like why aren't we talking about this i know i was obsessed with attack attacking ask alexandria in 2010 and i did not give two shits about portugal but this kind of understanding and 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 knowledge that of what can happen to bands and how they can have the success it all starts with acknowledging moves like that i would love to hear the band talk about how atlantic picked them up and why because they weren't moving units on fearless or equal vision or anything like that so i'd be super interested interested to hear kind of the the justification for it because obviously they saw something and it fucking worked yeah that's another thing the whole like there's just something i don't get about the whole major label system and the way they see things because i just don't understand that and like there's I, I guess I won't I don't want to say who it is, but there's one of these like big time major label managers that I've worked with a couple times, like one of the biggest big name managers. And, uh, you know, he would sign some of these like solo acts that had twelve hundred, you know, Facebook fans at the time. And I'm like, what do you see here? <laughs> right. You like, know? what kind of vision do you have for this? But he must have something. I mean, he's successful for a reason. He's signed bands with like, you know, that have sold tens of millions of albums. So it's mm-hmm. not like the guy's incompetent or something. I just don't I literally don't understand what his game plan is there. And I, I would I would be interested. But there's just no respectful way to ask that. You know, No, not at all. It's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of I, I just left it alone. I appreciate a&Rs who have that vision because so many people do not one of my favorites to come from our world is Johnny Minardi that Love dude him. is at ground level for everything that's about to take off and if you want to follow it. someone who who literally gets it follow Johnny he's had his hands in yep. everything from Panic of the Disco's A Fever You Can't Sweat Out to Dance Monkey so go follow Johnny and shouts to him because I know he does listen to the show too so we appreciate you man so Portugal the man ridiculous story nobody saw it coming well apparently atlantic and eventually republic did but moving on 
to neon cash cash all right here we go <laughs> cash cash party in your bedroom party in your fucking bedroom what when did that come out 2008 yeah 2008 so i didn't know this until i started doing notes for the show they changed their name to cash cash they were originally called the consequence in 2002 and they came out with like three releases under that name did you have any idea that they existed at that point I knew this, yes, but I had forgotten it, and I've never heard that stuff. What does it sound like? I didn't even look it up because I was hoping you would. <laughs> yeah. No, I forgot all about that. Actually, a got little, you. Um, so I, it, a, a friend of mine was their RA in college around that time. No way. Okay, cool. So based on their Wikipedia page, this it was described as more full band centric. So I'm assuming it was just kind of middle of the road pop punk stuff. Right. But in 2008, they signed a Republic. Like how? I, uh, another major label visionary move that I no one saw coming, and I don't think anyone even knew when Party in Your Bedroom came out that they were a major label neon band. No, I don't think so either. Uh, there's an interesting, you know, this is this is getting way into the whole neon kind of lore. Let's go. Uh, but, Let's unpack but, it all. Yeah. So a, a couple of interesting things. Uh, the, if you look up this album, uh, the cash cash album, take it to the floor, the one with part of your bedroom and all those songs on it, you know, the scene band it's, it's produced by three people, but especially two people that were really integral to, uh, the neon thing, Sam Hollander and Dave Katz, which, uh, they operated under the name, uh, Sam and Sluggo that wrote for a ton of those bands like we, the Kings and uh, Metro station and just like boys, like girls, like all those bands. Uh, and then another guy named Matt Mahaffey, who's like uh, a, another producer who I don't know a ton about what he actually does, but he worked on a lot of this stuff like forever, the sickest kids. So I think that there was some sort of like, and maybe I can get a hold of somebody there that could confirm this, but I feel like there was some sort of major league or major label, you know, idea that one of these bands was going to be the next fallout boy or something like that. Mm. And like, Hey, let's sign, let's sign some cute guys. Cause even they were basically boy bands, you know, exactly. Let's sign, that let's sign some, on. yeah, let's sign some cute guys. We'll put them a salmon sluggo. Uh, they also wrote for like Katy Perry and Mandy Moore. And so, I mean, they're like the best of the best. They're God. like God tier songwriters. Yep. So, like, let's sign some cute guys and bands that, you know, look good on stage and in videos. We'll put them a Salmon logo to give them some songs, and maybe we'll get the next Fall Out Boy out of it. And I don't think they did, but uh, I, I feel like that must have been happening because, like, what else could it be? Like, how else do you get signed to Universal Republic and work with Salmon logo? It just doesn't make sense. There was just, yeah, there was just that time where... In 2000, like, the major labels saw what was happening in 2004, and by 2006, they were in. And yeah. they didn't see the shift happening by 2008. No one realized that the, the first emo peak was over. Right. But they were seeing all these new bands coming in and their bright colors, and they wanted to try to definitely replicate what was still happening with bands like Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco at that time. I think that must have been the case. I I would love to hear if anyone listening, you know, has the inside baseball, please let us know. I'd love to I'd love to hear. Absolutely. So they signed to Republican two thousand and eight after the cash cash name change. They signed and by the way, I would I would say that they halfway flopped as a neon band. Yeah. I don't think the scene was really aware. 
Like, no. I think if you play Party in Your Bedroom for uh, late 2000s scene kids, they know that song, but they might not even know that it's by Cash Cash. And they didn't have any currency or anything, like, they might know that song because it's a fucking amazing song because <laughs> Sam Logo wrote it and everything <laughs> they write is amazing. The same people that wrote Shake It. Uh, the math so it's an amazing so song. Right. But, but like the the band did not have any kind of a following. I saw no. them once at some like random little venue that used to be a strip club in Kentucky, uh-huh. you know, playing to like 60 people or something like that. And this was in like 2009, which would be their peak as a scene band. As a scene band, right? Yeah. So it's interesting. Like I just kind of figured that they were like one of the many attempted neon bands that went nowhere and well that would be the last we ever heard of them exactly like there was such a saturation point of neon bands as with any wave the scene has seen whether it be metalcore or post-hardcore in the early 2000s there's always a saturation point and it definitely felt like at least from a surface level cash cash was the saturation point of neon yes (laughs) yes like peak yeah peak neon exactly so if you haven't seen the video for party in your bedroom or the outfits like oh, you have incredible. to look it up it's like yellow zebra stripe pants with keytars and like uh wraparound sunglasses i mean it was just I, I i think they were the most neon band ever ever i mean they took everything and put the pedal straight through the fucking floor funny story i want to say like the lead actor of the guy in that music video i took a I took a screenshot of him to go get my hair cut one time when I, it was probably like 2010 or 2009 oh, or something like that. <laughs> I was in high school and I was like, can you make it look like that? <laughs> I already liked you, but now you're my hero. <laughs> I love that so much. I'm glad I, uh, dude, I, you have no idea how many fucking scene bro pictures I took to get my hair cut back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i did the johnny craig mullet at one point i did the fucking uh the drummer from bring me the horizon i was i was all that, over the place. that's great but cash cash you'll never top that no I mean, no i'm glad the... you tried other things but let's be honest you'll never live up to your moment <laughs> of aspiring to be the guy from cash cash that's as yep. good as it gets you that... reach the top of the mountain it's all downhill from here my friend <laughs> I'm glad I reeled you back from fucking yeah. uh, Brian Stars and Fred of the Sickest Kid. Um, so, but yeah, so so, but they didn't. They they maybe did flop as a neon band, but they did not disappear. They didn't disappear. They just wiggled their way into this EDM scene that was com- it and still kind of is completely foreign to everywhere else in the music industry. Unless you go to like Electric Forest or whatever, you have no. And even the people that do go to Electric Forest. I guarantee they do not know half of the people on the. No, on those it's just entertainment. You just go there it, to like get wasted and dance for a few days. Exactly, exactly. So that's where Cash Cash ended up going, and they actually signed to Atlantic in 2013, and they remixed everyone from Kelly Clarkson to Katy Perry to Bruno fucking Mars. Their highest charting song is called Take Me Home, and it features BB Rexa. It's got, right now, it's got 128 million streams on Spotify. It peaked at number 57 on the Hot 100, and it's certified platinum. Like, Cash Cash has a platinum fucking song. How ridiculous is that? The simulation is glitching, Tyler. I need, this is, there's a problem. There's, Who knows what's going to happen next? The simulation so is ma- so gone many so wrong. Oh my yeah. gosh. It was crazy to go back and unpack everything that Cash Cash has done over the last decade. I feel decade. like the skybox is going to crack open and we're going <laughs> to see like the wires behind it or something. It's like, 
whatever you did to the algorithm, it's it's going crazy. Cash Cash is platinum. Cash Cash cats, is platinum. Cats and dogs are holding hands in the streets. This is pandemonium. Absolute pandemonium. I love it, though. These are my favorite stories to tell of bands that everyone forgot about or barely knew of in the first place from our world who did crazy shit outside of it. I, love I remember it. seeing this, actually, like... It might have been Jesse. I don't know. Somebody, because he also loves Cash Cash. Of uh, course, Jesse. How he, he is a man of culture. I did not know that Jesse was such a neon fan. <laughs> well, I mean, he's like me. He just, like, objectively, these are great, great songs. songs. Great you know, they're songs. They're incredibly well done. I mean, I'm sure he's not going to go, like, dance to Cash Cash, you know, at emo night. But, like, oh, he totally. recognizes a great song. Exactly. Um, somebody sent it to me. They're like, dude, Cash Cash are, like, EDM DJs now, and they're huge. And I was like what and i looked and i was like yeah they are what the fuck and they're still relevant i mean bb rexa is a huge star now and it's not like they had a moment in 2014 and then disappeared as far as i can tell they're doing better than ever they have 7.1 million monthly yeah. listeners on spotify how insane that's more than is corn. that that's exactly that's more than fucking corn it's more than bring me the horizon it's more than any scene band it's hilarious and awesome, and the fact that they're a trio of DJs just makes it so, like even more funny to me. <laughs> is it is it the same? Because I know there's the two brothers in Cash Cash. Is the other guy? I don't think he's an original. Okay. I don't think, but I I'm not entirely certain, but I don't believe he is. But who knows? If they are, the simulation is in the fucking well, gutter right now. What would really be amazing is if the third guy in the band was a member of Barrier Dead at one point. <laughs> That's when I'd be like, this is a joke. I'm I'm out of here. There's something is very wrong. Completely random, but the first thing I think of when you say a member of Barrier Dead in a different world is in Cash Cash is a member of Winds of Plague does a bunch of electronic music now. Yeah, he's and a he... very good friend of mine. Uh, okay. Michael Montoya. Yeah, he's he did like Juice World, Lil Xan. He's doing stuff with uh, Jonathan Davis from Corn, Sid from Slipknot. Did stuff with like Scarlord, Bones. Awesome. Uh, I'm, he's, I'm... he's legit as fuck, and I love him. He's a very, very good friend of mine. He came up. Do you remember his old band Goliath by any chance? No, I don't. Was that before Winds of Plague? Yeah, they were like a media scare, like deathcore beatdown kind of band. Okay. Uh, which is when I met him, and you know he started making hip hop stuff in like 2011 or something, and I thought he was crazy. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, yeah, and uh, he just quietly kept leveling up, leveling up, leveling up, and now he's got a fucking platinum song on the Juice World record. Hell and, yes. Uh, he's he fucking won and i'm really proud of him hell yeah that's so good to hear that he's he's a good guy too oh yeah you should have him on the show he he's like a he's like a minority type guy i'm glad we ended up at him because i completely spaced on that when i was going through and setting up actually show. you know what that's a great i totally didn't think of that we totally should have done a deep dive on him but yeah michael montoya morgoth beats from Winds of Plague and Goliath is definitely an example of this. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad that we got there because I totally spaced on it. But shout out to Winds of Plague. Okay, so moving on again. We could do an entire episode on Cash Cash, and we should. What a This is the world I want to live in, where two adults have an hour-long discussion about Cash Cash. <laughs> I just love and appreciate and respect your admiration for Neon so much. I love it so much because everyone wants to look back on it and be like, what the fuck was that? Like, fuck that shit. No, that well, was a special ass time. 
It was, and I'm going to do a video about it very soon. So if you're interested in Neon, stay tuned because it's coming. Absolutely. Go cop that. Okay, next Neon band. Breathe Carolina were on Rise Records for their first two albums, I believe. They might have been on Fearless for their second one. But then they went to Fearless, so they're, you know, double scene label alumni. One of them left, and then it was just the one guy, and he released an album called Savages as Breathe Carolina, and it had a great song with Danny Warsnop on it. But I love that song with Danny Warsnop. It's so good. So good. So good. And so good for, for that era and, and being able to write that song at that time. Yeah. It was like 2013 or whatever when, when Electronic Metalcore had completely hit, it, hit its saturation point And that yeah. still felt like a breath of fresh air. By the way, I hadn't listened to that song in years until I made a video recently about Asking Alexandria. Hadn't listened to it in years. I put it on and I was like, dude, Danny is a fucking beast. Oh, he's a monster and he still is yeah he is legitimately an extremely fucking good vocalist by any standard and i i guess i hadn't realized that so there's a reason why he's successful absolutely and it's been amazing to watch him over the years kind of just almost be lackadaisical about it i mean we saw him when he was basically a drug addict and an alcoholic all those nights falling over on stage and still just able to belt it out and now he's in a much better place when it comes to all of that and it's, it's it just sounds like he's only gotten better <laughs> he reminds me of these like freak athletes i don't know do you watch any sports like do you watch oh, ufc yeah. or anything like that oh, yeah. yeah he he reminds me of like a john jones or a bj penn Damn. that like doesn't really train very seriously is super lazy in the gym parties way too hard their life is a fucking mess but they're such good athletes that they still destroy people in the ring. And then you're like, man, what if they actually trained properly? Right. Danny Warsnop is the BJ Penn of metalcore. Damn. We are just digging them up on this episode. (laughs) I love it. But back to breathe Carolina, they go away basically after that record and that cycle, but not really. They made a calculated decision to leave the scene behind. And I'm going to unpack a little bit little bit of that in a second because I wrote an article on AP in 2015 and it was about... Wait, you, you wrote that? The byline is just alt-press. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there too, but all 4,000 of the articles that I wrote for alt-press don't have my byline anymore. Anyways, the headline was Breathe Carolina aren't the same band you remember them as, and that's okay. And I wrote this, it was just like a, it was a slow day and I wrote this piece about how don't like don't forget about these bands that are trying to exist in other spaces it's a good thing like the evolution is a good thing and i got an email from their manager i'm just gonna read it because it was really interesting to me at the time I said, hey, Tyler, I manage Breathe Carolina, and I wanted to reach out to say thanks. I read your piece about our guys and appreciate you understanding it. The BC guys have always been an electronic thing, but recently the focus has been on not confusing or sending mixed signals to the audience of who they are and what they do. In my opinion, you have the correct viewpoint. As a music lover, we have to allow the artists to adapt and grow. I've been booking shows for BC since their inception, and I too started developing different musical tastes over a progression and now entirely work with electronic groups. Thank you for helping people in the AP community understand that it's okay to evolve. Obviously, we would love to keep and retain as many people and fans as possible, but at the end of the day, it's more important for the guys to be true to themselves and hope people get it, more so than trying to be something they aren't. 
I loved and respected that so much, and I have been a strong supporter of Breathe Carolina in any conversation that I can have about them. I think that this band is one of the best examples that the scene has ever had of taking what they built and turning it into something more viable as they grew as well. And they've had so many different iterations of lineup changes and things like that, but they are able to play these huge EDM festivals and not necessarily be a faceless or a nameless act, but they've been able to survive outside of I the mean, scene. I more mean, than, more than just survive, right? Right, like they, they've been able to thrive outside of the scene. And we, we talk about it a lot on the show, and you and I did on our call last night, about how the structure of the scene is so concrete. Publicists push new songs and bands in the exact same spaces that they always have. And even though it's not working, they don't know anything else. They don't have any robots to, to put them. Exactly. They're just robots. And my favorite stories are the bands that say, okay, this isn't working. What do we do? And then they do it right. Yeah. And I think in the case of Breathe Carolina, I think there's two things that made it work. One being like the manager said in the email, this is authentically who they always were. It's not like they decided, oh, as a business decision, like let's pivot to EDM because when people do that, it almost never works. I don't have any moral objection to it because it's this is their living and they can do whatever they want, but it just rarely works because this is art and people respond to authenticity in art. And when it's just a calculated decision like that, I think it you know, usually smells like one. Right. And so it was authentically who they were. And second, they were tapping into something that was a really big opportunity at the right time. Like if you were a scene band that, you know, was trying to pivot into bluegrass, even if that's authentically who you were, it's probably not going to work because that's just not really, at least it's not going to catapult you to like, you know, the next level because bluegrass just isn't a big thing. Um, right. And so I, I think it was like, you know, they made that move right about like the time that the EDM boom was happening. Mm-hmm. And so the infrastructure was there and their passion and authentic interest in being part of it was there. And that's just like the right time to make that move. So good timing and like real authentic passion for what they were doing. That's the magic combination to me. And the timing part you can't control, but I think you just have to be smart enough to recognize when the time is right to make a move. And if the time is not right to hold off until it is, but you know, when the opportunity, you know, is there, you got to jump on it. Exactly. And I think a small part of it, like you said, is just being at the right place at the right time, but you have to have the vision to get there in the first place. Yep. So Breathe Carolina actually just released their first album since Savages, like their first full length album. They've just been releasing Lucy's EPs, uh, like remix packages on Spinnin' Records, which Spinnin' Records is basically the biggest EDM label in the world. But for the last, you know, shit, six years at this point, five or six years, it's just been Lucy's upon Lucy's upon Lucy's. And they just released their first record since they were on Fearless, and it's called Dead the Album. And if you appreciate just solid EDM pop-centered music, this record is incredible. They have a song called Too Good on it, and it's actually starting to climb into their top songs on Spotify. It has some of that old scene, MySpace, 
Warp Tour Breathe Carolina magic to it, but it feels like it's a, in a 2019-2020 vision. It's really cool to see bands evolve and survive outside the scene. Hats um, off to them. Totally. So moving on, I want to kind of devolve the conversation a little bit into not necessarily bands, but members of scene bands. And you have quite a few that you've brought into me that I didn't even know about from the neon era, because you are just the hands down neon expert of, of. Gosh, what a what a what a place to be as an adult man in 2020, <laughs> the world's foremost expert on late 2000s neon pop punk. Listen, let's go, man. Welcome I to my TED Talk. It. I am here for it. So talk to me about Stereo Skyline and a member in that band. All right. So Stereo Skyline is one of the many neon bands that had Skyline in the name. Uh, That's a great listicle. Not to cut you <laughs> off, but I'm, we're going to run that on the website. Here's yeah. every scene Skyline band. <laughs> or Skies or, yeah. Uh, so anyhow, they were, were one of them. I don't know that they were ever, like, huge. I think they they had a couple hits, uh, like, Song Heartbeat was pretty big. Uh, the one I liked was Tongue Tied. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I remember I was a big fan of that. So I have a friend who's, like, an L.A., like, songwriter guy. And, uh, you know, and he's sort of like Jesse Cannon that, you know, he's older, he's an adult, but he just appreciates any well-written songs. He does a lot of pop stuff. And I sent him their song years ago. And he's like, is this a joke? And I was like, no, I like this song. He's like, you know, that's my girlfriend in the video, right? No way. <laughs> I was like, what? That's her? Because, I mean, I know her. I just didn't recognize her in the video because she oh had glasses on gosh. and stuff. I was like, wow. Again, the simulation is glitching. The there must be a member of, is glitching. There's a member of Barrier Dead in that video somewhere. I'm sure of it. <laughs> that is totally the new note to scene running joke. There's a member that's of right. Barrier Dead in this somehow. <laughs> Yeah, that's what that's what or if there's a crime involved, good chance that someone from Barrier Dead is part of it. Damn. Uh, But anyhow, so they were just one of those kind of like probably C-level neon bands because they were, I would say, like a layer, a a notch below like Cash Cash. But their songs were really, really, really good. And I looked it up because I I was like, there's no fucking way that they write their own songs Mm -hmm. because you know, like we talked about, the bands that had the best songs were usually Sam and Sluggo or a couple other people that were writing it. Um, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong. It's just people need to understand, like, this is normal for pop. The exactly. artists don't write their songs. The artists are the performer. Like, exactly. A&R stands for artist and repertoire. That's the people who find the performers and the songs. Those are That's different from the producers. The producers make the songs. Artist and repertoire finds the performers to, to play them and buys the songs. So that's normal for pop. And it's just, people didn't understand that the the neon stuff was pop disguised as, you know, alternative rock basically. But anyhow, so I realized I I looked it up and they wrote their own songs. A guy named Kevin Bard was the singer and he was like 17 or 18 at the time, really young kid, but just super fucking good songwriter. The band fizzled out in, I don't know, like 2011 or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know the exact number or exact year. You'd have to look it up. But Kevin, I found out, uh, has had a pretty successful career as a uh, as a songwriter since then. Uh, the first thing I noticed that he wrote was the song Boomerang for the Somerset, which was like their biggest song. Not that they were the hugest band, but that was like a, a pretty successful song for them. Great and if song, you, too. Yeah, it's a great song. And if you listen to it, you can totally hear his like fingerprint all over like his signature thing is these really kind of strange syncopated rhythms like if you listen to the pattern of the rhythm guitars on that 
like try to tap it out and he won't be able to. It's a very weird syncopated rhythm and he does that all the time. That's how I could tell it was him. Nice. And uh, so he did that. Uh, he also wrote for uh, We the Kings uh, after that. And then Fits in the Tantrums was kind of like the next mainstream level up. And then he wrote for somebody who we will talk about later on, Dan and Shay. I don't really know that much about them. I just know their song with Justin Bieber that I love. Hell um, yes. 10,000 hours. Let's go. Fuck, that's a good song. So I good. don't usually like pop songs with male singers, but God damn it, that song is good. It's so good. And I love that they were able to have a, a follow-up hit after Tequila because it, it felt like they were the country chain smokers and they were just never <laughs> right. going to be able to follow themselves up. But shout out to shout out to Bieber for hopping on that track because it's better than any of the shit that he's been putting out for his new record. Well, you know, I, I'm a Bieber fan, so I, I became a little bit defensive there when you attacked him. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I'll I am too. Purpose made me a hands down believer, but these you you as someone who understands the math behind a good song, you have to admit that these three singles have been ass. I don't think it's ass. I just don't <laughs> think it's great. Um, and, I, you know, the thing is, you have to, as someone who is friends with and works with a ton of producers, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, especially when there's an artist involved. It's like sometimes you'll be like, dude, what's up with the recording on such and such album? And they'll be like, well, let me tell you. Uh, sure. For example, one band that shall remain nameless, but is a very popular, uh, very, very popular band in the scene, put out a new album a couple years ago that was noticeably did not sound as good as their older ones. And I asked the person who produced it, what's up with so-and-so's new album? Why does it sound like that? And he replied, they insisted on playing their own parts. <laughs> And I was like, ah, that was a bad idea. <laughs> I love that. I fucking love that. Because there's so much false perception of what actually happens in the studio and what bands actually do with their music. That is exactly, exactly yeah. the kind of stories that I want to tell on this show. <laughs> like, what people don't know is it's normal for one person to play all the guitar parts. Exactly. Because usually there's one person in the band that can play better than everyone else. Yep. And that person usually plays all the guitar and bass stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was always the case for this band. But in, in, on this one, they insisted on playing their own parts. And that's what you get. <laughs> that's uh, or, what you get. Yeah. Or sometimes, like with Anthrax, Charlie, the drummer, plays a lot of the guitars because he's the best musician of the band. Uh -huh. Um same with Bad Wolves. Like, the drummer is the best musician of the band. He writes a lot of the stuff, and I think he plays a lot of it, too. Mm -hmm. So, point being, with, with Bieber, especially with him, uh, the reason I'm a fan of his, not, not I mean, I do like his music, but like I said, I, I don't really like pop with male vocalists for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just like him because he's shared so much of his journey of, like, evolving as a human over the past couple years, and I really respect and admire that, that, you know, he's trying to be like a good human and a good husband and you know get over a lot of the mistakes that he made when he's younger and that he's being like upfront about that and sharing that story with people because i think people need to hear that stuff and people will see that if he's willing to be this like vulnerable about it and if justin bieber made mistakes and can you know continue to work on himself then you know maybe i can too that's what i would hope uh happens with him so that's that's why i'm a fan of him so fuck you and you're <laughs> shitty opinion about yummy okay tyler dude holy shit fucking keep it to yourself 
Justin's trying, okay? I have so many thoughts. I want to go in so hard right now, but we got to bring it back to the scene. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Kevin Bard from Stereo Skyline. Right. So, anyways, uh, he, Kevin Bard. He's, yeah, he's gone on to be, become a, uh, a successful songwriter and super talented guy. Good for him. I don't know anything about him other than that, though. Uh, another Skyline band. Let's go. Is Show Me the Skyline. Yes. Uh, they were really just like a MySpace indie band that was never had any kind of success at all other than if you're one of the weirdos that would like you know dig this stuff up like i did Uh, i mean i did too and i had never heard of this band before you brought them to me it's a deep cut uh but it's it's on uh it's on spotify the songs like you'll hear like the production is not the best because it was a 17 year old kid making it in 2009 so you know not the best production but the songs are fucking really good uh, and again, same thing. I looked it up. I was like, who is this kid? Who's writing this shit? And it was him. Uh, he was, you know, an actual, just really super talented songwriter. Uh, his name is Lars Principato and uh, show me the skyline fizzled, whatever, 2011 or something like that. Uh, and he has also turned into a songwriter, uh, two songs that people might know that he did, uh, New Americana by Halsey, which, uh, as far as I know, was like her first big song. Yep. Uh, so he wrote that one. He also wrote uh, IDGAF for Dua Lipa, another huge song. Huge. So he's he's doing it, um, and that's pretty cool. Small world moment with uh, Show Me the Skyline. So uh, my, my day job, quote-unquote, is I have like a, a school for music producers, and one of our members is a guy named Miami Dolphin, which is his actual real name. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, and he's from Connecticut. And I don't remember. We were bullshitting about stuff. And I mentioned something about Neon Pop Punk and Show Me the Skyline. He was like, dude, I was in that band. No. And I was like, what? And he said, I've never met anybody who's ever even heard of us. No I was like, dude, way. I'm the biggest fan small world so shout out to miami and lars shout out to miami and large i love that that is so fucking cool the scene just finds a way i i I said that at one point last year and rebob always brings it up now and she's just like it's so true the scene just finds a way and we are the only people who are going to make these kind of connections Yeah, I just I want to hear all the bands with Skyline in the title. So if you have any more of them, if you got any neon bands with Skyline in their name, send them my way. I want them all. So wrapping up here, I wanted to throw out some honorable mentions. And we talked about Dan and Shay for a second a little bit ago, and which led us into Bieber. But Dan and Shay's live band is made up of, I'm just going to go down the list, a Rocket to the Moon, The Receiving End of Sirens, My American Heart, and Brighton Members. It's literally country neon up there. <laughs> and then working with Kevin Bard, there's some sort of scene connection here. They're, they're, I mean, Dan and Shay is a scene band. I mean, but were they at, like literally actually a scene band? No, they weren't. They've always been a country like kind of plant. But, but, um, but they, yeah, but they are. Like, yeah, you're right. It's like, it's it's clearly like team neon like playing for country now yeah i mean yeah dan and shay is the first country scene band Ooh, i'm in well actually you know you could maybe throw trey cyrus in there somewhere damn damn okay i'm in how do you feel about that metro station album yeah is there one other than the one with shake it 
No. I mean, yes, but no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because there's one with yeah, there yeah, there, there was that other comeback one. Yeah, not uh, at all. the only Metro Station. Album. Right. You know, I haven't listened to it in a long time, so I can only comment on "Shake It," which is a god tier song because it's Salmon's logo. Um, yeah, that's an incredible song. You still hear that one at Target and stuff. Totally, hands down. So that is up there with Forever the Sickest Kids Underdog Alma Mater as my favorite neon album of all time. <laughs> it is, but you know, listen to Underdog Alma Mater on headphones. The arra- <laughs> the reason why Jesse and I love it is because the arrangements are fucking crazy. They're incredible. There's like three guitars, electronic drums, acoustic drums, so synths. many layers three singers it's fucking crazy they just and and you can tell that their other albums just didn't have the time and budget because the arrangements are so straightforward compared to that one Mm -hmm. the songs are still good but the arrangements are just you know not half of what they were on that first album definitely okay one more honorable mention before we wrap up jeffree star we couldn't do this episode without shouting out jeffree and how he evolved from crunk core warp tour you know side stager to makeup mogul right my wife is super into the whole like makeup youtuber kind of the beauty influencer scene uh and she was also a scene kid so she's like the perfect example of somebody who's like been there the whole time and it's it's very interesting to me like i had no idea until I don't know, a year ago or something that he was doing in this makeup stuff. I just remembered him as the guy who had a verse about sucking dick on that Hollywood undead <laughs> song in like 2008, <laughs> you know, and, or the, uh, or the medic droid beef. Right, right. Yeah. And he, you know, he's like a friend of friends. So I sort of just always kind of knew him as, you know, just that guy. And now his fucking face is in the window of Ulta and he's like, a TMZ level celebrity, you know, unreal. And it's amazing, and and I don't know him at all. I I want to interview him one of these days because he seems like actually a really cool guy and clearly a great business mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would I would love to interview him because I, I bet he's got a lot of really really interesting stuff to say. Really quickly, it's not quite the same, not quite. But I want to shout them out, uh, the Millionaires Girls, because Hell they yes. were on uh, Bad Girls Club which was a, a pretty popular show on, was that on Bravo or E? I don't remember which. One of um, the two, yeah. Yeah, but they're, they're still around, and I was very happy. Uh, I, I mentioned them in a video positively because I, I actually think they seem like cool people, and what they were doing back then was, in hindsight, actually pretty cool. Melissa saw it and, and said she liked it, and that made me really happy. And I'm happy to see them that they're getting a little bit of credit for you know, being ahead of the curve in so many ways. And both of them seem like they're uh, doing well now. So I'm happy to see that. Awesome. That is so dope. I'm glad that she reached out to you after you did that video. The Millionaires. Wow. What yeah. a what a time for the scene. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All I want to do is dig up shit about everyone that everyone forgot about from Warp Tour 2009. <laughs> but I only want to dig up nice things about people. Right, exactly. We want to look back fondly on this shit, because it was fun then. Yes. Alright, Finn. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a fucking blast. I don't have many people, as I'm sure you've come across the same problem, to talk about all of this shit with, and we know too much about things that don't matter to anyone else. <laughs> 
Well, so you it's can't good. change the past. You can't you know, change the past. Have, yeah, we, we may have misallocated our youth, but uh, here we are. Let's make the most of it. Let's make the most of it. I love it. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for me or Finn, please write in note to scene at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode. I'll see you then. 